Welcome back to the NFC Agenda with myself, Drew. We are looking back on Liverpool 3, West Ham and Mikel Antonio 1. Except it wasn't Mikel Antonio 1. He barely got one shot on goal, did he? All the hype talk before the match amounting to nothing for the West Ham striker. But it, Reds didn't have it all their own way. It was a bit of a slow start. They were unlucky, West Ham, not to go ahead. Liverpool, slow starters this season, but always find a way to claw it back. This time they didn't concede first, they actually got the first goal. We'll get into the sequence of events, but first of all, worth saying that this is another 3-1 victory. Seems to be their favourite scoreline of the season. Uh, third in a row after the Lask and Wolves results. Unlike the Wolves game where Liverpool stank out the place for the first half, it wasn't a case of that. In front of their home fans, the level performance was a lot better, but it was a bit of a shaky start. As I said, West Ham had two pretty clear-cut chances to take the lead, one of which was spurned by Mikel Antonio, who's given it a big talk before the match. His head uh, just sailed past the post, or more like dribbled past the post uh, when it looked easier to at least get it on target. can't remember who had their second chance, but who cares? The result was um, exactly what it wanted it to be, and the Reds roll on. So, Mohamed Salah opened the scoring in the 16th minute, I think it was. He actually won the penalty himself and lashed it into the net with that sweet left foot. Again, you just can't replace this guy's goals, um, creativity, all-round influence on the team. We're so happy to have him as part of the club. You, you're witnessing greatness. Once that goal went in, it felt like the Reds seized control of the match. The tempo was good. They were passing the ball well. There was a good period of just control over the match, similar to what we saw against Aston Villa. However, the narrative uh, turned out to be slightly different because West Ham were able to claw back an equaliser just before half-time. And they say that's the best time to score. It did feel like a bit of a, a punch in the gut. Uh, not that Liverpool were completely dominant, but it just felt like, as I said, they'd seized control of things and, and didn't look like, um, you know, they were going to struggle. But uh, the goal from the Hammers, I've got to say, it was one of top, top, top uh, quality from Jared Bowen. A player that many... I've heard many Liverpool fans uh, suggest that he may be a good addition for the Reds. I just don't think we could afford him. Um, I just mean at English prices. He wouldn't go for, for cheap. Uh, Premier League price, let's say. He wouldn't go for cheap. And um, quite frankly, right now, with Soboslai in the midfield, uh, the way he's operating, the level he's performing at, is he's not a signing Bowen that I think would... Um, improve us let's put it that way and West Ham have plenty of players like that um, Antonio as we mentioned you know for all the jip we've been giving him he is, he is a good player uh, Paqueta of course almost sealed a move to Man City um, so they do have those threats in the team and it was Bowen who on 42 minutes managed to somehow um, <laughs> I'm not even sure how he did it stoop to guide a header past the right hand post he actually put a bit of swerve on his header <laughs> as he dipped down to connect with it 
and it was just at the sweetest, um, deftest header you'll see uh, all season. If you see a better one than that, then it's got to be a goalless season contender for me because the way he had to readjust himself to take that chance, yeah, it was just great, great, great quality. Really love that finish, except that it was against uh, my own team. After half time, Reds came out with a lot of purpose, a lot of drive. I feel the confidence of the team has gone up. I feel that they have it in themselves, uh, not just to rescue matches, but also to put on the pressure when they feel they need to. They're not out there to exert too much energy or to overly uh, push themselves when they don't need to. And I think if you're in it for the long haul and you're serious about being a title race, mentally and physically, you're going to have to conserve energy. You're going to have to uh, have those moments where you're not always going gung-ho. And uh, that, for me, was the most impressive part of the performance. The team just gives me confidence that they understand what they have to do and they go about their work diligently without fuss and without stressing themselves too much um, when I look at for example the way Arsenal played against Spurs which was a game that to be honest had most of my attention uh, not least because it was on Sky Sports I always get the feeling that they are thinking about winning this thing they're thinking about the consequences of dropping points I don't get that with Liverpool and that gives me a lot of confidence because ultimately as I said in the previous podcast, they ain't actually in the title race until such a time as Man City shows some fallibility. So, right now, it's a race for the top four. Do I think we can do better than the top four? Hell yeah! But, let's take it one step at a time. And so, with that control that they exerted, it was great to see on the 60th minute, having missed... Probably an easier chance, not probably, definitely an easier chance. Uh, Darwin Nunes, aka Agent Chaos. Uh, I don't really like that title that people give him. It's a bit of, it's a, bit of a, a slight, isn't it? But he was the one who, who got, the, who got the, the goal that put Liverpool in the lead. Came in the 60th minute. It was quite an amazing connection that he made. The ball lifted over his shoulder from Alexis McAllister who was industrious as usual in the middle of the park, dropped over his shoulder and just guided it. First time, didn't let it bounce, didn't have to think about it. And I think when you give Darwin Nunes the opportunity to think instinctively and just do what comes naturally to him, that's when he looks at his best. When he has a lot of time on his hands, or it's a similar chance like the one he passed up uh, a few moments earlier. He can look a bit daft. I'll be honest. At the beginning of the season, I was really concerned whether we had a Diego Forlan on our hands. Or if it was going to be more like uh, uh, Luis Suarez, his compatriot and uh, Liverpool legend. I don't think he has anywhere near the, the skill level or uh, general sense of, of menace of Luis Suarez. But... He is a player who is going to give defenders a lot to think about. He's going to keep them consumed. Liverpool haven't really had that um, since uh, Sadio Mane left in terms of having different threats 
outside Mohamed Salah, reliable threats that uh, can occupy the defenders that they play against and keep um, teams on their toes. Psychologically, that's going to be such a big change for the way that Liverpool play this year. I think we all need to get used to the fact that you know the golden era that we witnessed of beautiful interchange and um, telepathic understanding between our front three of Firmino, Mane and Salah, that brand of football that's behind us now. So Liverpool found different ways, different weapons to occupy defences and, and cause stress and panic. And I think a lot of defenders are going to be panicking over facing Darwin Nunes this season. What represents a good haul for Darwin Nunes this season? I think if you ask different fans, they'll give you very varied answers. For me, it's quite simple. He needs to get over 20 goals. I think he's well capable of it. I think he's going to get enough minutes in the bag to do it. I think he has the appetite to score goals and I do feel also that he's someone who will improve and get better. In fact, we've already seen that, haven't we? We saw that turning point against Newcastle when the chips were down in in more ways than one and he was the one to turn things completely on their head and deliver uh, two moments of complete and utter delirium for, for us Reds. I do recall after that match, you know, I was, I was, uh, I went hard on the social media to let people know about my delight, and some people did, uh, did think I was overdoing it. They, they were, um, if not ridiculing me a little bit, you know, teasing me about how excited I could be getting about a result like that so early on to the season. It's because sometimes you look at a performance, a set of circumstances, uh, and the outcome. And think to yourself, hmm, this could mean something. And there's just no doubt in my mind at that moment. And probably it was something to do with the way Liverpool had started the season uh, last year. It was very stop-starty to see them find this new resolve. That, that for me, uh, really got me thinking about the possibilities for this season. So Darwin Nunes, I think he's going to be um, an incredibly important footballer for us this season. What's been really encouraging to see is he's found his way into the team. I don't think now, unless he suffers a real different form, that you're going to see Gakpo or Jota starting in front of him for you know most of the Premier League games or if there was a Champions League final uh, tomorrow, let's say. <laughs> not that we have that to look forward to, but any big game, I, I do believe that now he's he's nailed on to start. We know what the front three are, or who the front three are. Diaz, Nunes, and the great Mohamed Salah. It was a bit of a scrappy third goal that put the seal on, on the victory for us. Uh, Diogo Jota coming off the bench to prod home from um, a knockdown from Virgil van Dijk after a corner and that was about five minutes before the end of the game and at that point the the wind went out of the cells for West Ham uh, David Moyes was resigned to his 25th defeat against Liverpool the manager I don't think anyone has a I'm 
probably I'm probably wrong. Maybe Eddie Howe between Eddie Howe and, and uh, David Moyes, some kind of competition for who can be uh, the most shit against Liverpool. Um, David Moyes, he's, he's got to be up there um, from his time at Everton. Absolutely abysmal record. So that goal, that third goal, really settled nerves and Liverpool were able to, to enjoy the last few minutes and um, it felt like the scoreline reflected the general balance of play. So hugely delighted to uh, chalk up another win. As I say, five wins and a draw, that is 16 points out of 18. I think we can all safely say we'd be pretty content with that. Tougher tests to come. Ultimately, if Liverpool are going to be in a shout for the big prizes, West Ham at home is not a fixture. That should be causing much consternation. Um, glad it didn't. In fact, most home games should be, if not a walk in the park, uh, a fairly comfortable affair if Liverpool do their jobs. Every game is going to be tough, as tough as you make it if you don't do your job. Look at Chelsea. Look at Caicedo in that Chelsea team. Does that look like a £100 million player? No. I want to touch on transfers. I know, the window's shut. But there's two things that uh, I'm reminded of from what I've seen this weekend. Number one, it's pretty clear to me that, you know, we've been talking a lot about Liverpool 2.0. What does that actually mean? It's like one of those crappy catchphrases that, you know, for some reason people latch on to. 2.0 it makes me think of, you know, complete 360 in terms of what we're seeing with this team. In reality, how many players have we really brought into the first team in the past four to five years? It's probably half the team. Liverpool have quite a slow uh, rate of turnover of first-teamers, which is why the departures of Henderson and Fabinho were such a shock to the system. And Liverpool were completely caught on the hop this summer. There's no other way to look at it. There's no way that Jurgen Klopp went into the summer thinking that he was going to lose five midfielders. I say five because Carvalho as well uh, was a player who got a few minutes uh, and did contribute last season but, but also moved on. So that's why this summer had the potential to be quite traumatic for us in terms of what we were left with feels to me like this, the club always had money and that was proved by that ridiculous Caicedo bid god I'm glad we dodged that bullet but there's still a feeling of, of being left a, a bit short the last time Liverpool signed a, a centre back which to me is the obvious gap in their squad was Canate as in a defender who could walk into the team will challenge the squad. Now, Canato was signed, I think, back in, uh, yeah, I want to say, say early 2021. Can't quite remember. But I do recall that at the time, uh, we had the likes of Nat Phillips, Kabak. Remember Kabak? Came in on loan from Schalke, I think it was. And we were really scrambling around for defenders uh, the season after winning the title. It just got me thinking, we haven't, addressed a really glaring gap in a squad 
Now, some people are going to say, well, what about Joel Kwanzaa, who's been with the club since he was an embryo? Well, yeah, he's a good player, but he is a young player. and We shouldn't be putting pressure on him to come in and, and solve our problems. Now, when Kanate signed, it was off the back of an injury crisis where Van Dyke was out for the season, Matip was out for the season, Gomez was out for the season. All three of those players have a history of injuries. At some point this season, I don't want to wish ill upon the team at all. But at some point this season, I think we're going to have to accept one, maybe two of those may face some time out through injury. And when that time comes, Liverpool, if they're in a situation where they're close to the top or at the top, they won't want to look back at the transfer window of 2023 and say, why didn't we shore up there? Now, we do have an opportunity in January to fix this, and I do think it's something that needs to be fixed. I'm very concerned that we left ourselves this short, but I think of all the positions on the pitch, that's probably, if you had to pick one, uh, the easiest one to fill, both in terms of availability of players and getting someone in at the right price. So I do hope when the window opens... Liverpool will be serious about reinforcing in that area of the pitch. To get a left-sided defender, centre-back, I think should be a very high priority on their list. Uh, one player we've been linked strongly with throughout most of the window and, and even now is a player called Hiero Incapi. Plays for Bayer Leverkusen, only, I think, 21 years old. And he'll probably set us back between somewhere in the region of Let's call it 35 to, to 40 million pounds, which in this market, again, isn't unachievable for us. It's not going to put a huge burden on the coffers. And we've seen Liverpool have got a bit of change to throw at the situation um, based on the, the, the bids that they made for that um, pretty mediocre so far Chelsea midfielder and um, what they were looking to pay for Lavia. We do have a game in midweek against Leicester uh, in the League Cup. I do like to see Liverpool progress in these competitions, even if it's difficult to win any trophy, right? But even if realistically they could field a weaker team later on and get knocked out, I like to see them progress, not just because it's good for the prestige of the club, but also because it gives an opportunity to some of the younger players. So clubs like... Everton, um, Bournemouth, some of the smaller teams who know that the League Cup potentially is the only chance of a trophy, I never understand uh, when they decide to field weaker teams. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. You know, players need minutes and players need an opportunity and deserve an opportunity. Uh, it shouldn't be taken away from them to compete for trophies. Yes. Man City have the, the biggest, baddest squad in the land. But the mentality has always been to try and win um, each game that's put in front of them and try and win trophies. Not always been the case of C. Not always been the case with Man United and the League Cup when they were dominating. So one thing you give Pep credit for 
um, is Pep Guardiola is that he does take that competition seriously. I'd like to see Liverpool do the same, particularly when we've got home draw against Leicester. You know, it's early in the season. They haven't got the the stress and toil of uh, the Champions League. The Europa League is going to be pretty kind to them. It's not going to be as taxing. So I think they should just go for it. I'm not saying it should be a full-strength team, but I think they should just go for it and um, see where it takes them. I would expect them to beat Leicester Anfield, and then let's see let's see what comes next. Um, obviously, at the time of recording, that game has not been played yet, so let's hope I don't end up with egg on my face. In reality, the big one that we're looking at is the Spurs game in the Premier League on the weekend, and every match in the Premier League now feels like it carries huge significance. Liverpool have to be in the top four. There's no pissing about this season. Um, okay, we can look at last season, write it off. It shouldn't have happened. We made a strong comeback and we saw what the team was capable of towards the end. But by that point, it was too late. But Liverpool this season, as a minimum, need to be in that top four. At the end of the season, it's very likely that Mohamed Salah may make the decision to leave. Um, some of the defenders that we have on our team may move on. Thiago may go. So it's an opportunity for a lot of the people, um, or a lot of the players in the squad, to have one last push for, for trophies and for success. And I think it's going to make them really hungry. If they're going to go far in this competition, they need to really put their all into each Premier League game and as I said not stress too much over the thought of drop points and just be as relaxed as they can I think the great thing is with this new midfield there isn't desperation or tension or age catching up with some of the players that we've been reliant on in that area of the park we've got a lot of energy now we've got a lot of drive and it's going to be a problem for a lot of opponents. Liverpool are going to dominate games. They're going to win a lot of points. They're going to score a lot of goals. But we don't have much cover at the back. And so we need to be lucky with injuries. Uh, we need to manage our energy levels. And we need to really take one game at a time. So the next game in the Premier League, as I say, is against the Tottenham at the White Hart Lane Stadium. I've not actually been to that stadium. I'd like to go. Um, they're looking like a different proposition. That's safe to say. I did watch the entire Spurs versus Arsenal match. And wasn't that really rubbish what the TV stations did? Uh, putting all those matches on at 2pm at the same time, UK time. That that was a weird one for me. I'm hoping they space those, those matches out a bit more. Particularly as they're looking at having... 6.30 kickoff, they should have the opportunity to do that. But anyway, I digress. Spurs show themselves to be a much more resilient team. I never did get the the wringing of hands and you know, basically grown men crying into their beers that Harry Kane was leaving. You should never get that attached to a footballer at your club, particularly one who's approaching his 30s and ultimately has won you 
the grand total of zero trophies. He's won nothing. So therefore, this was always an opportunity with Harry Kane moving on, with the money that was coming in, to evolve the team, to move forward, to focus on good coaching, uh, cohesion within the team, and getting back to some fundamentals. And you've got to say, the man they call Big Ange, he's really come in and shown that what he did at Celtic can be translated into the Premier League. Um, what a career he's had in terms of the journey he's taken from Australia to to managing one of the top teams in England and doing a good job so far. Let's not get carried away. Yes, the Arsenal fixture was a difficult fixture, but uh, ultimately the goodness had a lot of injuries to contend with, uh, absences. Uh, it's always a very tight affair. And, you know, Tottenham have Hun Ming Song, who's performing at peak level. He's really hitting uh, high standards this season and he's driving the team on himself and, and Madison are really the catalyst behind the turnaround of scene. Uh, they've got a solid base. Uh, everyone knows their job and there is a sting in the tail. So Liverpool will have to be wary. I don't think Liverpool will get away with conceding first as they have in other games because I just feel that the confidence that Spurs are playing with and also the organisation that they have within the team um, will make it very difficult if Liverpool have a, a slow start again. Um, there will be bumps in the road for our team. You've got to expect that. You've got to understand that with the change that we've had in our team uh, and also some of the defensive frailties that we are contending with, it's not going to be plain sailing. And maybe that first defeat will come on Saturday night at 5.30pm. Maybe it won't. Maybe the run will continue. But at some point, you got to expect that um, the law of averages would suggest that sometimes things won't go for you. Sometimes you won't be able to recover from a slow start or a poor performance. Those days will come. But I'm just hoping we can delay them as long as possible. <laughs> and I'd love for the next two matches against uh, teams that are in and around us uh, in Tottenham and Brighton, we can really put a stake in the ground. You know what I'd really like us to achieve? I think there's like 20 fixtures taking us up to the new year. I'd really feel super confident about our chances of taking things um, to the latter stage of the season. If, in those first 20 matches, we can see 16 wins. That's probably half the number of victories you need to win a Premier League title, which is crazy, but that's the standard that we're operating to now, or operating within when it comes to trying to win a Premier League title. But I just feel, when I look at those fixtures, there's nothing for Liverpool to be scared of. That's not to say they're going to win every game or avoid defeat um, in that time. But I really feel, overall, 
the overall quality of the the Premier League isn't what it used to be. Teams like Luton, uh, Burnley, um, Sheffield United, basically all the teams that came up are not very good. So Liverpool should be looking to do a double over those. And yes, they should be looking to 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 Hoover up um, at least sixteen, hopefully seventeen wins from their first twenty matches. It'll be good for us. It'll be good for a Premier League because Man City will have some competition, and it would be really handy if one of those sixteen victories could come at the Etihad in October. But you know what? I'm jumping the gun. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. This week's all about Leicester and then Tottenham. One week at a time, one game at a time, one result at a time. Step by step. Make sure, if you can, you follow, subscribe, give us a rating, all that kind of stuff on the social media channels. Let fellow Reds know that we're about and uh, really appreciate your ears once again. Enjoy your week. You never walk alone.